God, you said it. We believe it. That settles it. And it's good enough for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would turn with me as we prepare to hear what I believe God desires to speak into our lives today. I want to read two passages of scripture, both from the book of Acts. After you get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find the book of Acts in the New Testament. I want to begin reading at the end of chapter 12 into chapter 13, and then read the concluding verses of chapter 15 as we allow the Holy Spirit to put these two verses and passages of scripture together in a way that makes sense for us this morning. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse number 25. And once you've found the book of Acts, if you would stand that together we might heed and hear the reading of the word of God from the New International Version of the Bible. Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 25 into chapter 13. And then we journey over to chapter 15, one page later. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger. Trust somebody to tell him that's a brother. (laughs) Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Chapter 15 beginning in verse number 36. Sometime later, Paul and Barnabas said to one another, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. I want to talk, preach, and teach today about friends with benefits. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Lean over to somebody and say, keep it holy. Keep it, keep it holy. Friends with benefits. Prayerfully, I can get an early and an easy amen of agreement when I share to you the first truth of this sermon, and that is that there is nothing in the world like a true friend. Amen. I'm not talking about some Johnny come lately. 
Not speaking about some fair weather friend. Not speaking about someone who only hooks up with you when they stand to gain something from it. I'm talking about that ride or die. I got your back. That friend that you can call at 3 a.m. in the morning and know their only response is, girl, I'm on my way. There's nothing in the world like a friend who knows your good, your bad, and your ugly and loves you anyway. There's nothing like a friend that knows where all the bodies are buried, knows all your deepest, darkest, dirtiest secrets, and refuses to tell anybody but Jesus what they know about you. There's nothing in the world like that friend that stands with you even when you're dead wrong. Beloved, I come by to tell you, there's nothing in the world like a real good friend. And friends are necessary because the truth of the matter is, every now and then life will remind you that everybody needs somebody sometime. Doesn't matter how big and bad you are, doesn't really matter how many degrees you've got plastered on your wall, I don't care how much your salary is or what neighborhood you live in, you will find that there comes a moment in every life where everybody needs somebody sometimes. Listen, I am a good Cap Alpha Psi member. Don't you ever doubt my crimson and cream, but I believe the men of Omega Psi Phi had it right when they said friendship. <laughs> that friendship is essential to the soul. That there's something about having a friend that just feeds your soul and strengthens you when life is happening to you and gives you strength when you feel like laying down. Everybody needs somebody sometime. And you know what? The more you mature in life, Marcia, and the older you get, you're going to find out two truths about friends. Number one is that if you got a good friend, watch this, you don't need 10 of them. You, you don't even need five of them. Brother man, you don't even need three. If you got one or two good friends in life, you ought to consider yourself blessed beyond measure. Is there anybody here who knows that God has blessed you with about one or two good people that got your back, that stand with you? And I thank God for my friend. You're gonna find out you don't need 10, just need one or two. But as you mature in life, and this is for the millennial-minded in the congregation, you're gonna find out that everybody you meet doesn't fall in the category of friend. Every smile and face ain't your friend. Everybody in your corner ain't got your back. Everybody next to you on your side will not stand by your side. Uh, uh, I came by to tell those who are young that everybody in your friend. Matter of fact, the 40-year-olds know it because we remember in 1984, one of our favorite groups put it like this, friends, the word you use every day. But most of the times you use it in the wrong way. Now you can look the word up again and again, but the dictionary doesn't know the meaning of friend. And if you ask me, you know I couldn't be much help. Because a friend's somebody, they just for yourself. 
Some are okay and they treat you real cool and some mistake the kindness for being a fool. We like to be with some because they're funny. Others come around when they need some money. Some we grew up with around the way and we're still real close to this very day. Homeboys through the summer, winter, spring and fall. And then there's some we wish we never knew at all. And then list goes on again and again. But these are the people that we... Uh, Y'all ain't saved, you ain't saved. Everybody is not a friend, which is why you learn to value true friends in life. And beloved, the necessity and the power of true friendship is not only revealed to us in song, but it comes to us in scripture. In almost every book, every chapter of the Bible, we are reminded that God creates us and calls us to be in positive, productive relationships because you cannot be your best by yourself. That we really are better together. From the very beginning, when God creates Adam and looks at Adam and says, it's not good for you to be alone, that's not just saying that Adam needs a woman, that's saying Adam needs companionship. Because you can't rise to the highest level of God's calling in your life without people assisting you. The word friend is so important that when God looks at Abraham and sees how faithful Abraham is, God calls him friend. When Jesus wants to press upon us the depth of his sacrificial love, he says, no greater love has any man than this in that he would lay down his life for a friend. Friendship is so important, Jesus never let the disciples go anywhere by themselves. He always sent them out at least two by two because he needed them to know no matter how anointed you are, no matter how gifted you are, you need a friend in this life because you can't operate in God's calling all by yourself. And page after page, the book of Proverbs, as Solomon gives wisdom to his son, reminds his son of the necessity of friendship. He says, iron sharpens iron. He reminds them that, that a deceitful friend will lead to ruin, but if you've got a friend who sticks closer than a brother, you can be what God has called you to be. God has created us for and called us into friendships that he has ordained to help us be what he's called us to be. Positive, productive relationships propel us into God's purpose. And God has a way of assigning people to your life to help you be everything he designed you to be. The Bible is full of examples, of those positive, productive relationships, and we're going to journey through some of them in the month of September. But what you might find interesting is there is a brother in the Bible who all of us love who had a hard time valuing friendships. Skip, there's a brother in the Bible that we love who had difficulty appreciating relationships that God created him to be in. Mark, there's a brother in the Bible that we read all the time, but he had a problematic personality that made him difficult to get along with. 
Someone just jumped in your mind. The brother's name is Paul. You remember Paul, don't you? Started off as Saul, converted on the road to Damascus. Shake your head like you know this one, yes? Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. Paul, who in his journeys of preaching, logged over 10,000 miles by foot, by sea, and by chariot. Paul, whose theology is the basis of most orthodox Christian doctrine. Paul, who ultimately laid down his life and was beheaded by the emperor Nero. That same Paul had difficulty valuing friendship. And there's no greater example than his relationship with a brother named Barnabas. Let the church say Barnabas. You may have known about Paul. Let me teach you a little bit about Barnabas. Barnabas is a Jew of the tribe of Levi. He's born on an island called Cyprus and his name when he was born was not Barnabas. No, his mama named him Joseph. And Joseph, when he was young, moved to Jerusalem. It was there that he encountered the apostles, Peter and James and the others who were preaching Jesus. And he was so moved that he gave his life to the Lord. And from the very beginning, Joseph was all in. In Acts chapter 5, we find out that this man named Joseph, who will soon be called Barnabas, after he gave his life to the Lord, he sold all of his family property and brought the proceeds to the church and gave it to the apostles to support the growing ministry of Jesus Christ. Joseph was all in. The apostles were so impressed with him that they stopped calling him Joseph. They gave him the name Barnabas. Barnabas was not what his mama named him. Barnabas is what Peter named him. And he called him Barnabas because Barnabas literally means encourager. Barnabas was that brother who knew how to encourage you. Barnabas was that brother that when he got your back, he reminded you that you are more than what you used to be. He was the brother that let you know all things are new in Christ Jesus. He's the one that let you know that if you got God and God's got you, baby girl, brother, man, you can do anything God has called you to do. Barnabas was an encourager. You know what Barnabas was? Barnabas, I've been telling people, was kind of like Ed Jackson. Reverend Ed right there. Um, because if you don't like Ed Jackson, Something is probably wrong with you. If you didn't like Barnabas, something was wrong with you. This brother was the brother brothers wanted to be. Barnabas was such an encourager that when Saul was converted to Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts 9, God sent Barnabas to Paul to encourage him in his new life in Christ. And Barnabas believed in Paul so much, Barnabas brought Paul back to Jerusalem and defended him in the presence of Peter when Peter didn't trust Paul. Watch this. Paul 
would never have been accepted by the apostles had Barnabas not had his back. Paul may not even be in your Bible if it hadn't been for Barnabas. Barnabas was such a lover of the Lord that when they needed a pastor at the church at Antioch, the apostles sent Barnabas to be pastor. And Barnabas took Paul as his associate minister. And Barnabas and Paul were so effective in Antioch that Barnabas and Paul were the ones who coined the term Christian. The term you use to describe who you are came from the relationship of Barnabas and Paul. Christian was a term derived by Barnabas and Paul. This was a God-productive relationship. Barnabas and Paul were so productive that in Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch believed it was time to spread the gospel. And so they went to fasting and praying. And in the midst of fasting, in the midst of praying, the Holy Spirit showed up and said, I've chosen who I want to work together. Barnabas and Paul. You've got to see that Barnabas and Paul were partnered together by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit put them in relationship with one another. Now let me pause right there because that's important. I need you to know there are two types of friends in your world. The ones you allowed and the ones God ordained. They're the people you let in and they're the people God assigned to you. And I'm not saying the ones you allowed aren't good friends, but I am saying that there's something special about the people God has assigned to your life. Now, I know what you're asking. Reverend, how do I tell the difference? Now, I'm gonna tell you how you know. You can tell the difference between allowed friends and ordained friends by what it is that keeps you together. Paul and Barnabas are God-ordained because what kept them together was a sense and discernment of the assignment God had on their life and that their partnership helped propel them to the assignment God had on their lives. You know God-ordained relationships because they help you grow in your walk with God. God-ordained relationships are not held together because you all share an immaturity. God-ordained relationships are not held together because you all have a common sinful behavior. Just because y'all get high together doesn't mean God called them to your life. God-ordained relationships are people God has partnered with me with and what keeps us together is not that we make each other feel warm and fuzzy, not because there's some feeling of romance, not because we share the same affiliation, not because we like the same team. What keeps us together is that I believe this person is helping push me to what God has ordained and created me to be. Paul and Barnabas were put together by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that after they're put together by the Holy Spirit, they went off on a first missionary trip. They went to Cyprus, they went to Salamis, they went to Pamphylia, they went to Paphos, they went to Lerbe, they went to Dystra, and then they came back to Antioch. And everything was amazing. 
they came back bragging and boasting about the first trip. The first trip went so well that they decided to go on another one. And that's when all holy hell broke loose. Why? Well, here it is. Barnabas had a cousin. Tell somebody tell them I see where this is going. I see where it's going. Uh, Barnabas had a cousin. His cousin's name was John Mark. The same Mark who wrote your gospel. That's Barnabas' cousin. And, and Barnabas wanted John Mark to go on the second trip. The problem was John Mark had been on the first trip. And if you read in Acts chapter 13, when the going got hot, John Mark quit. They got to pay folks. It was the first stop on the journey. He didn't even make it past the first stop. He found out how hard it was to be a messenger of the good news. And John Mark said, nope, didn't sign up for this. I'm out. Bye. See you later. I quit. And now that it's time for the second trip, Barnabas wants to give John Mark another chance and says, I want John Mark to come on the trip. And Paul said, oh, no. Paul remembered that John Mark quit on the first trip. And he says he cannot come with us. And the Bible says that the argument between Paul and Barnabas got so heated, Paul said, skip you, Barnabas. Barnabas says, skip you, Paul. <laughs> Barnabas grabbed John Mark and went that way. Paul grabbed Silas and went that way. And they hit each other with scripture. Now may the Lord watch. <laughs> Between me and thee, <laughs> while we are absent one from another, they went their separate ways, never to be reconciled. How could a God-called relationship come crashing down so easily? How could something God put together to propel them in their purpose be destroyed so quickly? How can a godly friendship come to an end? Well, as much as you might not like it, I'm going to tell you that I think the problem was with Paul. Paul, Siobhan, had a problematic personality that made him difficult to deal with. Somebody just jumped up in your mind. <laughs> Can I share with you three of the problem characteristics of Paul that I think you need to look at and see if they exist in your life? Three things that made Paul difficult to deal with. Watch this. The core of the issue was that Barnabas wanted to give John Mark another chance. And Paul was unwilling to forgive. Now here's the problem. The fundamental message of Jesus Christ is forgiveness. Giving people a second chance, that's at the core of the gospel. Not holding people to what they used to be and giving God an opportunity to make them anew. That's what this Christianity thing is all about. And how could 
the primary teacher of Christianity in Paul not practice its primary principle? How could Paul be unforgiving? How can you say you represent Jesus and you don't know how to let something go? And I could spend all day telling you how difficult it is to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't know how to forgive. <laughs> but you should know that already. <laughs> I would argue with you, there's something deeper going on here. And the deeper issue is this, Paul believes he's so anointed that he can treat John Mark any way he wants. Paul believes he's so close to God that he's not obligated to treat his brother the right way. Can I tell you the type of church folk I can't stand? I can't stand folk who think they are so righteous they can be rude. People who think that they're so holy they can be nasty. Folk who know so much Bible but can't say hello with a smile on your face. Something is wrong with you if you claim to be close to God but you can't be close to people. Let me tell you something. Don't confuse holiness with ugliness. God has never called us to be mean and nasty. And having a difficult personality is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit calls us to be kind and compassionate and loving and patient and merciful. And there's something wrong with your Holy Spirit if you believe the Holy Spirit gives you the right to be abrasive with people. The Bible says that we ought to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known as the children of God. The Lord said, by this shall people know you are my disciples when you have love towards one another. And there's something wrong with a Christian who thinks anointing excuses ugly. And you will always have difficulty with someone in relationship who believes that they're close enough to the Lord to treat you any way they want. Can I push it? So glad to be back in the pulpit. Uh, I'll suggest to you that there's another problem. Not only does Paul think his anointing excuses ugly, which makes him difficult to deal with, but watch this, you all. There are two instances in Scripture where Paul gets angry with Barnabas. One of them is right here in Acts 15. Paul gets angry with Barnabas in Acts 15 because Paul has an issue with John Mark and Barnabas doesn't. And Paul is upset that Barnabas doesn't share the same dislike for John Mark that he has. Stay right there. Go to Galatians, the second instance. In Galatians, what happens is that John, excuse me, Barnabas and Paul are in Galatia. Peter shows up. Now you need to know Paul and Peter never got along. <laughs> Peter shows up and Peter says the Jews and the Gentiles have to eat in different rooms. Paul is upset with Peter and Barnabas says, well, Peter makes sense. 
And Paul gets angry with Barnabas because Barnabas doesn't side with Paul against Peter. Don't you miss this. In Acts 15, the issue is that Barnabas likes John Mark when Paul doesn't. In Galatians, the issue is that Barnabas sides with Peter against Paul. And here is Paul's fundamental problem. Paul can't take anyone in his world who doesn't agree with everything he thinks. Paul needs you to have an issue with anybody he has an issue with. He wants you to dislike anybody he dislikes. He wants you to believe anything he believes and he cannot handle Barnabas who pushes back. Paul's problem is that he needs everyone in his circle to think like he does. Can I tell you what the bigger issue with Paul is? And it's what's going to ruin any relationship. I have found this out to be true. The one thing that will kill any relationship is what Paul had. An addiction to being right. Have you ever known someone who had to be right all the time? Do you know how hard it is? to be in relationship with someone who is never wrong? Someone just jumped in your mind. And the problem with Paul is that he cannot handle Barnabas challenging his thought and his perspective. Listen, you need someone in your world that pushes back at you. You need someone who lets you know your vision is too small. You need someone who makes you think and rethink what you thought you thought. You need someone who brings a different perspective. You need someone who sees what you miss. If everyone in your circle always agrees with you, your circle is too small. Paul thinks anointing excuses ugly. Paul is addicted to being right. But watch this third thing that'll kill any relationship God has called you into. And you should have seen this one coming. Jealousy. Tell somebody, tell them, I know that's right. You can never be in relationship with someone who cannot stand to see the favor of God operating in your life. It, it will destroy your relationship if someone has a jealous heart. Let me go on and teach Bible to you. Let me share with you how I believe Paul was jealous of Barnabas. It really is because of two things. Number one, I want you to read in Acts and notice how the names are listed anytime it's Paul and Barnabas. Half the time, Marcia, the Bible says Paul and Barnabas. The other half, it says Barnabas and Paul. Not too much until you remember that whenever the Bible lists more than one or two or three names, the names are always listed by seniority of authority. Okay, okay, let me make it, let me, um, that when names are listed, you always begin with the senior and most authoritative. Let me give you an example, let me give you an example. So in the Old Testament, you never hear that God is the God of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. 
That's not how it reads, Skip. It always reads Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why do we start with Abraham? He's the most authoritative and the most senior. Okay, you didn't get that? Um, whenever the disciples' names are listed, it never starts with Judas. Whenever the disciples' names are listed, it's always in this order. Peter, James, and John. You don't even know the names of the other nine, but you know Peter, James, and John. It's never James, John, and Peter. It's never John, James, and Peter. When the disciples are listed, it always starts with Peter, James, and John, because Peter is the most senior and revered. Whenever there's a listing of names, and it includes Barnabas and Paul, it always starts with Barnabas. He was the senior and the most revered. As a matter of fact, I'll give you an example. It plays itself out. Read Acts 14 when you get home. Watch what happens. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are in a strange city. And in that city, CJ, the people of the city, think that Paul and Barnabas are Greek gods. So they confuse them with Greek mythology. And Paul is talking, and Deacon Johnson, they look at Paul, and they say, oh, you must be Hermes, or Hermes, or for you, Hermes, you, <laughs> you wealthy, affluent bourgeoisie. The, <laughs> they look at Paul, who's talking, and they say Hermes because Hermes is the messenger god of the Greek mythology. He's the one that spoke for the gods. And when they looked at Barnabas, who was just chilling, they called him, he was just chilling. Uh, when they saw Barnabas just chilling, they called him Zeus. Now, in case you forgot Greek mythology, Hermes is a little messenger god, but Zeus was the big dog. And when they looked at Paul and Barnabas, they said, Paul may run his mouth, but we know who's got all the authority. It has to be Barnabas. And I would argue with you that if Paul is like many people you know, after all he's done, to see that people still like Barnabas more burned a hole in his soul. Jealousy will destroy any relationship when someone cannot stand to see God's favor operating in your life. Can I tell you something, church? Organizations are destroyed by jealous leaders. Ministries are destroyed by jealous leaders. Choirs are destroyed by jealous soloists. Churches are destroyed by jealous pastors. Because the heart of jealousy is insecurity. And insecurity is threatened by someone else's gift so that when God favors someone with their gift, the jealous person is insecure and feels threatened and tries to kill the gift because they're worried about their position. I've been on vacation for a couple weeks. Came back, and folk come up to me talking about, ooh, Reverend, 
Elijah preached a good message. Ooh, ooh, Mark did such a good job. Ooh, Barbara show tore the house down. Good. You ain't threatening me. When vacation is over, I'm still pastor of Alpha Street Baptist Church. I don't care how well they did. I want them to be their best. I'm not threatened by their gift. Let them preach. Let them bring the word. Let them be great. Because when you're secure and where the Lord has called you, you'll never be threatened by someone else's gift. I've I got to go. i got to go. 11.30, going to be mad. Um, watch what happens. This is amazing. So Paul and Barnabas split. Paul says, skip you, Barnabas. Barnabas says, skip you, Paul. Barnabas took... John Mark and went over here. Paul took Silas and went over here and watch what God does. Now there's not one missionary trip, there are two. <laughs> now the gospel is spreading twice as fast. Now twice as many people are getting saved. And Paul recognizes that God is blessing Barnabas and God is blessing him. So in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul makes a shift he begins to applaud Barnabas. Read it when you get home. He begins to write, 1 Corinthians 9, excuse me. He begins to write about how good Barnabas is and how great of a preacher Barnabas is and how the Lord was using Barnabas. How can a Paul who was jealous of Barnabas now support him? Because Paul has found out what I give you is the last point of this sermon. The favor of God on someone else is never at your expense. Let me say that again. The favor of God in someone else's life is never at your expense. What God is doing with them will never cost you what God has planned to do with you. You don't have to be jealous. You don't have to be envious. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to be threatened because what God does in them will not jeopardize what God wants to do in you. God's favor for her doesn't threaten God's favor for you. They split up. And the problem that I have, Dominique, is that what brought them together was prayer and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, you two, prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. They hooked up through prayer and fasting and they broke up in their feelings. The Holy Spirit pulled them together, but they separated in their feelings. You missed it. Prayer and fasting brought them together, but there was no prayer when they separated. Listen, I don't know who this is for, but if God called you together, don't you leave without divine permission. It's easy to tell you to pray when you get in. The harder thing is to tell you not to leave without the same amount of prayer and fasting. That which God has joined together. Don't you leave just because you're having a moment. 
Lord, I thank you for the people you've assigned to my life. Those who help push and propel me in my divine purpose. Friends that are more than just someone I share a common interest with, but someone who discerns a purpose in their life. And Lord, I pray now that you would break me from any addiction of being right. Remind me that my anointing does not excuse my ugly. Remind me, oh God, that your favor on their life is not at the expense of your favor on mine. Lord, teach us to value the relationships and friendships you've called us into. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Someone today, as we get ready to leave, I have a feeling that you may need some new relationship in your life. A relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior that then calls you into relationship with the family of faith. We're not a perfect church, no church is. But we're trying to grow and to become better and we believe that you help us become that. So today if you're here and Jesus is not your best friend, if you're here and you do not have a family of faith, this is your invitation to come.